Hello and welcome to the Be Kind to Your Mind podcast. I am your host Rachel Bell and my guest joining me on today's show is Sam. My hope is that together we will have an honest and real conversation about mental health and wellness and your life experiences. Please know this is a safe space to share, listen, learn and evolve in our lives and break down the barriers in our minds together. I am not a health professional, but I am a good listener and someone with real lived experience in this area. If you need someone professional to speak to, please see the show notes for more information. And please note that this episode may contain content that could upset certain listeners. If you would like to get in touch with me, please feel free to contact me at email bekindtoyourmindpodcast at gmail.com or you can also check out the Instagram page for more inspirational and uplifting content at bekindtoyourmindpodcast. Well, hello friends again for episode four. So good to have you back and listening to the next episode. Um, and I will say a little bit of an apology for not having one out to you last week. But I know that this episode will more than make up for my tardiness. I have a bit of a treat for you all today. Um, because on today's podcast, I, I chat with Sam, as I said. And Sam is a licensed mental health counsellor practicing in New York, in New York City. So um, she specializes in disordered eating, perfectionism, anxiety, and mood disorders. And she works with individuals and couples to help overcome life challenges and create sustainable, healthy relationships within themselves and also with others. She tells me in our chat about how she got into psychology, um, about how when she grew up, she herself uh, faced times with anxiety in her life and how she managed through that. And we also talk about um, a treatment called CBT, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. She gives us a little simple explanation about it for those of you who may have uh, heard about it before, but it can be a little bit confusing. And we also dove into some wellness uh, tips and other tools besides therapy that we could use to, util to utilize to support our mental health. Oh my gosh, Sam was so much fun to chat to. <laughs> She's, she had so much information and um, it, it was, I just, I just hope that you have as much fun listening to this episode um, as what we had recording it. So here we go. Hello, Sam, and welcome to the Be Kind to Your Mind podcast. Thank you for joining Hello. me. Hello. Yes, of course. I'm so happy to be here. So happy to have you. Thank you. How are you feeling today? I am feeling great, actually. Oh, um, it's 5.30 a.m. Well, now, <laughs> yeah, 5.53 a.m., and I feel great. Um, wow. I'm very appreciative to be on with you today. So, um, Sam, you're chatting to us from New York City, which is pretty exciting. And I've got to be honest, I didn't realize till about half an hour ago that you were going to be uh, talking to me at 5.30 in the morning. It's uh, 7.30 here in, in Melbourne, Australia. But um, I'm very, very grateful that you wake up nice and early for us today. Hopefully you've got a coffee on the go. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, Sam, you come to us today to have a chat from a professional seat, which is even more exciting for me. Um, because although I love the authentic story sharing from my uh, my other 
uh, guests that I've had conversations with, you come with a little bit of experience as well. You um, are a licensed mental health counsellor and, uh, and you specialise in disordered eating, perfectionism, anxiety and mood disorders, which is a lot of topics close to my heart. So I'm really, really looking forward to diving in with you today. But um, maybe you can just uh, let our listeners know a little bit of, uh, about your background, maybe where you grew up and, and going through school and college and how you got to, to a place where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm actually born and raised in New York. Um, I was, you know, raised in Queens, New York. So that's one of the boroughs in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, and I went to, well, actually, I started college and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I ended up going to a community college. And when I tell you that was a struggle, right? I think because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I said, you know what, it's okay. We'll just take our time. And it, it, was, it took me a while to graduate from community college. And I, I left for a semester or two um, to pursue other things. And then I came back. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I finally finished, I still didn't know what I wanted. <laughs> um, so I decided to start working. Um, and yeah, I worked at a gym, right? Um, and I'm also, I was a dancer growing up. Oh, wow. So that's going to also lead us maybe into some other topics and what's dear to my heart when I'm also kind of working with clients. Um, so after the gym, I said, you know what, I, I want to learn more about psychology. I want to learn about, you know, all of these things because in community college, that's what I gravitated towards. Mm -hmm. I gravitated towards that. And I think I struggled with my own, you know, anxiety, um, you know, and things like that. And I went back to school for, it was undergrad. I finished in a year and a half because all the credits I had from community college. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I absolutely fell in love with psychology. Um, and I think not only from the perspective of me just learning about it, but me also, you know, going through at the same time, my own, you know, personal mental health issues with anxiety and panic and all of those things. Mm -hmm. um, so then I went straight to grad school. I went to NYU for my graduate program. That was probably one of the best experiences I've ever had. Um, you know, coming from community college, and then into a city school, our undergrad, you know, going to NYU, I, I felt almost like, oh my gosh, do I belong here? <laughs> um, you know, all of these amazing people from all over the world are here. Um, and it's very interesting because I met one of my best friends there. Um, and she's from New York, actually. So it, it worked out pretty well. Um, the program was great. A lot of self-development, um, a lot of knowledge. I ended up interning um, at a partial hospitalization center um, for women that have eating disorders. Um, I was a huge advocate for disordered eating, body positivity, all of those things. Um, so I would go on to, you know, go to the needle walks, intern now um, at an eating disorder center. And then I was offered a position there as well after my internship and after graduation. Um, so I stayed there. And then slowly I navigated to, you know, intensive outpatient, which is also part of their partial hospitalization. And then I went into the private practice sector. Um, I think that 
in that sector, I think that you have more um, range of clients that you're going to be meeting with. I think that it was healthy as a new clinician as well to understand not only just a few disorders, right? Mm -hmm. And really understand how to work with just a few disorders. But I think that it's important to understand how to work with everyone because a lot of people are not aware that, you know, yes, maybe there is, you know, body dissatisfaction or disordered eating, but what is underneath that, right? We also have a lot of, you know, right? We have that negative talk, right? Mm -hmm. We have all of our experiences. We have anxiety, depression. We might have bipolar disorder. We might have, we have all of these other disorders that come with, you know, all of these other symptoms and behavioral patterns. So it's really important to understand how to work with all clients, but that's another thing. Working at private practice, I think, gave me the opportunity to start learning how to work from a position of looking at the entire being, right? Not just the disorder, mm -hmm. right? Because I think that a lot of times, you know, we are fearful of going into therapy or fearful of talking about our mental health issues because Definitely. of the stigma around that. Mm -hmm. I think also you sometimes get labeled and you get kind of even by therapists, right? You get labeled sometimes and they want to focus solely on just that issue. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's so many other things going on for an entire person and to understand the entire being is really important. Which basically is like a, um, a holistic look at, at, yeah. um, at a person's, you know, uh, mental health and well-being, I guess, isn't it? Absolutely. So looking at the whole self. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, my graduate program really kind of instilled that in us, um, you know, it's mental health counseling and wellness, right? And really kind of focusing on the entire being rather than just the disorder. knew after the first bad one that I just didn't, I had to do everything different so that it, the next one wouldn't end up the same. When in reality, I was really just reaching back for that thing that... <laughs> Like I wasn't really healing what that issue was. I was just doing the opposite to what I did before and it was still creating issues. So yeah, I think that's really, really important what you say there. So with your, um, with your clients, when you're talking about perfectionism, that's something that I'd really love to chat with you about. Um, had a little bit of that myself. Okay. I still do. Let's be honest. <laughs> here, recovering perfectionist. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I'm recovering. Um, <laughs> You know, you know, when you start a new job and your boss says to you, you're too hard on yourself, you know that, don't you? And you're like, yeah, I've been told that by every boss I've ever had. So, yeah, I do. I know that. Um, you're in trouble. <laughs> but yeah, have a, what's, what are you, what are your experiences with perfectionism? Yeah. I mean, I think, and I, I mean, I brought this up a little bit earlier about, you know, being a dancer growing up, right? Mm -hmm. Um, yep. And I think that that places a lot of pressure on you mm -hmm. um, as a young child. And, you know, I think that there is, I mean, there's so many layers to perfectionism. And a lot of those layers do start at a young age, right? We might feel rejected. We might feel a desire for validation, you know, because feeling maybe unheard, unseen, maybe dismissed in some way. Mm -hmm. Or there was some experience at some age where we felt maybe not good enough. Um, you know, by maybe someone's comments or maybe even our own, right? And I think I discussed this in one of my posts, like the three different types of perfectionism, right? Um, but I think that, you know, looking at it from a personal experience, 
really saying, okay, like I have to be a certain way. I have to perform a certain way. I have to look a certain way. I have to behave in a certain way. And if I don't, then I'm not going to get to that destination, right? I'm not going to get to that goal. I'm going to disappoint other people. I'm going to disappoint myself, right? Where did these expectations come from? I'd love um, to know that actually. I'd love right? to know where they come from because, <laughs> you know, like for my personal journey with perfectionism is mm-hmm. um, when you said not let, letting other people uh, down, that's probably one of my biggest ones. Mm-hmm. I've always been a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm working on that. I am a recovering people pleaser. There we go. <laughs> I, I like that actually. <laughs> <laughs> putting a little bit more effort into myself first. Um, mm-hmm. But I think with the perfectionism thing, I, I don't know how to overcome that because there is that level of expectation that I put on myself. And if I don't do that thing, I'm going to not only let myself down, but other people down. Mm-hmm. And, and then you see people all around you letting people down. But you, mm-hmm. still, think, you still think that's wrong, even though everybody's doing it. So. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. I think that when we look at that, right, that's the, the critical voice. That is the, well, if I was to... You know, if I'm, and this is kind of, this could actually be something that's really difficult sometimes in therapy um, when we start looking at what the core beliefs are, right? And I always say that the core beliefs are the foundation to our pillar Mm -hmm. or pillars, right? And think about it, right? Like if there's some cracks in that foundation, our structure is going to have some cracks, right? Maybe some bits and pieces Mm -hmm. um, that maybe are not as adaptive for us. And I think that looks at the, the critical voice and the core beliefs are so related, right? Because the core belief is the foundation. Mm-hmm. The negative thought is the pillar, right? Um, and everything in there, all these layers. So when we look at that, right? Like maybe I'm going to disappoint other people or I'm going to disappoint myself. Well then let's say that was true. What would that mean, right? What does that mean? What does that say about you then? Right. And then we start to kind of break away the layers to those negative thoughts. And we start to understand what that core belief is. And then from that core belief, we say, okay, is this adaptive for us? Where did this come from? Right. And we start to kind of navigate this entire new, scary, (laughs) you know, world. Um, But that's something that is interesting because a lot of times we'll see, right, on social media, well, if you're so fearful of maybe disappointing others or disappointing yourself or being a people pleaser, um, there's X, Y, and Z. These are your reasons why, Mm -hmm. right? But that's not always the case. Um, You know, and it's really kind of all of the, the, the core beliefs that we hold and how have they been reinforced over time? What experiences have we had that have said, yes, like, if you disappoint yourself or disappoint other people, this is what's going to happen or, or this is what it says about you as a human being. And that's, I think a hard, the- that's, that's a hard one to beat, isn't it? Like when you, mm-hmm. when you really break it down and go, well, if you don't reach that goal or meet that expectation that you put in place, what's going to happen? And for me, I don't really have an answer. It's not like I go, mm-hmm. I'm not really one of those people that goes, if I don't achieve that, then this will happen. Mm-hmm. Just because it's going to be achieved. So you just achieve mm-hmm. it. <laughs> you know? well, we discussed this, I think, in one of my posts, right? There's the drawbacks and the benefits, right, of perfectionism. Yeah. And if, and this is the thing, right? If 
there is because there is high success rates right if we look at the like self-prescribed right perfectionist mm -hmm. and there are positive emotions uh connected and correlated to that right but if we then place our self-worth mm. right if, if it if it jeopardizes our self-worth that's when it's maladaptive so you can always set those high standards and expectations but if you beat yourself up afterwards for not meeting them, then we have to take a look at that. Mm -hmm. Perfectionism, I think for me also leads down the path of um, if you're habitual like I am and you find it hard to change. Mm -hmm. And so being a, like having perfectionism and then the self negative talk. Um, and when you look at trying to change that, it just seems impossible. Like it's mm -hmm. like that, how could I ever not have an expectation? Um, mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people struggle with that. Absolutely. And I think that that is probably, that's the thing, right? I think that the, the cognitive flexibility, right? And I, I know that I've discussed this on, on, you know, on some of my posts. I think that when we look at perfectionism and we even look at negative self-talk, we're also looking at maybe a lack of cognitive flexibility when it comes to our thought pattern and our thought process. Mm -hmm. um, and we might be super flexible with everything else. Like, sure, no problem. Okay, great. It's okay. Oh, we got lost. No worries, right? Um, let's enjoy the adventure. But when it comes to ourselves, right, that's when we might lack cognitive flexibility. And when I say that, what I mean is that it's either this negative automatic thought or it's maybe this other negative automatic thought um, or we're only looking through one lens at the time for mm. specific, you know, specific events. Uh, what for you, right? Like work. Yep. Um, you know, and people pleasing, like I have to do it. Um, and the negative thought again is really reinforced over time. When we talk about building cognitive flexibility, it's looking at, can we create alternative possibilities to the situation? Are we able to see that? And let me tell you something. I always tell my clients this and they always laugh. So maybe you'll have a good laugh. <laughs> They're like, well, this is not going to make me feel better. I said, that's not the point. <laughs> You're not going to buy into it, right? If we have a negative automatic thought, right, that comes up. Are we going to believe all the other possibilities? We're not going to buy into that, no. right? So I always tell them it's not about buying in right away, right? It's about just the practice because neuroplasticity is real, right? We want to create new pathways. We want to create at least the choice to choose another possibility or another thought because right now there is no other possibility or no choice to choose. And I always say that we have a cognitive and behavioral repertoire, right? You can't, you can't delete, but you can add, mm, right? That's interesting. Yeah. So these negative automatic thoughts are always going to be a choice for you, right? They're always going to be there. We can't just delete them out of our mind, mm -hmm. but we can add, we can add other possibilities. We can add alternative thoughts, but it comes with the work of also knowing that I'm not going to buy into this right now. Mm. And you might not ever really buy into some of those thoughts. It's just creating the flexibility and building it so that creating you have a choice. Habit, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. So 
do you think it's possible to cure yourself of perfectionism? <laughs> that's the thing, right? I don't know if there's like a, and then, <laughs> you know what? I always say in recovery yeah. or working towards recovery, right? I never say recovered, right? Because again, right? We can't delete, but we can add. So now Fair we enough. have choices, right? Yeah. And we might be able to turn that maladaptive perfectionism, right? Where maybe our self-worth is at jeopardy into more of an adaptive perfectionism um, and really saying like, okay, you know what? If, you know, if, if I don't do this and I disappoint this person, you know what? That's okay. I will, what can I do next time so that I feel good about what I'm doing? But at the same time, it doesn't, it's not going to make me feel less than if maybe I disappoint this person or if I'm disappointing myself, let's say. Um, and I think really creating more realistic, attainable goals and expectations of ourselves. Because I think a lot of times we place our expectations all the way up here. Um, and I read something the other day and I thought it was, I thought it was amazing. And I always say this, right? Like perfectionism is real. It exists, right? It's a thing. But perfection does not. That's so interesting that you say that because um, it's probably one of the things that I say more than three times a week and that is I'm not perfect and I never will be mm -hmm. and I don't want to be. Mm -hmm. So then why, you know, so then I sort of think to myself, why do you put so much pressure on yourself? Um, mm -hmm. I guess that's what I was trying to say before. It's more about perfectionism for me is expectation and I think mm -hmm. that's where I can um, get into trouble. I think a lot of people would relate with that, that mm -hmm. you you know, expect so much of yourself or as a lot do as well, you expect a lot from others. And if that isn't met, then mm -hmm. you aren't going to accept them as a person it might be a partnership or whatever. And sometimes we might not know what the why is. Mm. And can we be accepting of that in this moment and ask more so of what is happening for me right now? How is this serving me right now? Right. Rather than looking at, why am I doing this to myself, right? Because mm -hmm. we are definitely going to spiral downwards from that one, right? Like, why am I doing this? What's wrong with me? You know, all and of those anxiety, things. Then anxiety mm -hmm. just comes into play, doesn't it? Oh, like, then, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely a work in progress. So you... um decided to become a therapist you when we were chatting before we started recording you said to me mm -hmm. that um you know I like a lot of therapists or your your friends that are therapists you guys decided to study therapy and give back because it's something that you uh needed uh when you were growing up or when you were going mm -hmm. through uni college talk to us a little bit about that like what drove because you said yeah. you, you had no idea about what you were going to do when you went to college yeah. What was the light bulb moment for you? I think the light bulb moment was, you know, I think when I, I'm just a very anxious person. Mm -hmm. um, I worry a lot, right? I ended up having panic disorder and, you know, experiencing panic attacks on a daily basis um, where it actually affected my functioning. Um, I was not able to leave the house. Um, you know, I thought at times, you know, that I was like, I was sick, 
I would go to doctors and say, what's wrong with me? What's happening with me? And I think, you know, experiencing all of those things, not knowing what to do, feeling alone, right? Feeling trapped, feeling almost suffocated. And then people maybe, you know, even though that you, they love you and they care about you, they don't know what to do for you, right? And then also then feeling like a burden in that moment. Like, oh my gosh, like you guys don't know what to do for me because I don't even know what to do for me. But now I feel maybe like I'm a burden. Um, I'm also kind of impeding, right? I'm impeding now on maybe our plans. Um, we're not going out. We're not doing things. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. I think that a lot of that came from, you know, growing up very close to my family, right? And, you know, them moving, um, you know, leaving my childhood home, um, being on my own, you know, my family members all dispersed, right? So now I'm like, okay, I'm here by myself. I don't know what to do. I have to figure my life out. Um, but I think, you know, really kind of understanding, you know, my anxiety, my perfectionism, my past experiences, how that affected me and how I was actually viewing my world at the time, I think really helped me to understand that, you know what, like everyone struggles, you know, and I think that we have to look at that as a shared human experience. And I think I said this earlier before we recorded that, yes, everyone's experiences are different. And we might not ever fully ever understand someone else's experience. Um, but it's a shared experience that we're struggling. Um, you know, I don't know if we can say, you know, one, per like not, not a single person has struggled. Um, you know, and I think that it's really important, you know, to look at it in that way. And I think that's one of the reasons why I, you know, I really wanted to study psychology afterwards. Um, you know, like I said, community college took me a long time to graduate. And reasons being, I was anxious. Um, my thoughts were preoccupied, right? I was so nervous about how was I performing? What was I going to do in the future? All this anticipatory anxiety um, that I wasn't paying attention to the present moment. I wasn't saying, hey, what's happening for me now? And like, can I enjoy this right now? Um, and that actually affected me. So going back to school for psychology was important to me. You know, I think knowing that I could be the therapist that someone could resonate with, that someone can say, you know what, like she actually gets it. She knows. She, I, I feel like she understands me. Even if we may have so different experiences, you know, in our upbringings or what we're going through, there's a level of understanding um, that is so important for that relationship for a therapist and client. And I think that a lot of us are so fearful of that to go into therapy, talk about our problems, right? We have to be vulnerable. We have to, yeah. you know, open up and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. And then not to feel like that is being, you know, understood or heard in the way that you feel like you want it to be, right? Because not everyone is going to understand us. But no. at the same time, we want to feel like someone is there with us. I think um, that's a great comfort in knowing that someone has either gone through something similar or can at least appreciate it on a personal level, maybe via a family member or something. I think, yeah, it makes the, I think, you know, that's really hard sometimes when people go and see therapists as well, because you don't ever really know their background unless they tell you in a bio or something. So um, 
I find I found that hard when I was in therapy because I'm like, I don't even, I don't know you. I, mm-hmm. I don't know what your background is or mm-hmm. like your personal background or what you've struggled with. And if I say something, whether you're going to think that's really weird or odd, or I remember the last therapist I saw, I actually said that to her. I was like, Oh, and I haven't really told you about that side of me because I think you might think it's a bit strange. And she just kind of looked at me like, you can just tell me anything. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And I, I kind of stopped seeing her not too long after that. Cause I felt a little uncomfortable. It just dawned on me that I knew nothing about this person. And yeah, so it's, it's, I don't know. It's an therapy is very much an individual journey as well. I think you, you know, when you see your clients, that must be, especially that first uh, conversation that you have with them must be, you know, a hard thing to sort of a- approach their background. Maybe some people have to, you know, regress or it might trigger them, you know, mm-hmm. talking about past traumas. I know from um, friends that I've had in the past have said that they, they're sick of changing, you know, therapists because they have to relive the whole experience again and that's the most annoying part of it it's definitely very raw when you would have someone come to you for the first time and try to fit in your whole story in an hour <laughs> you know and how do you kind of manage people through that for maybe some of our listeners are thinking about therapy but they've never done it and they're fearful because of, of this yeah absolutely so it's so interesting that you mentioned this because this is such an important topic for me, right? And I think because, you know, I, I really do value that relationship, therapist and client. And of course, we want to make sure that we're a good fit, obviously. And I actually enjoy my first sessions. <laughs> Reason being is I, again, like I approach it as this is a human being that is coming in that has no idea who I am. I have no idea who they are. So the first thing I always say, you know, I kind of prep them a little bit, like if they've never been to therapy, of course, right? And so that's that's really new, right? The first session, because first session is really collecting the data, right? Understanding what what's happening so that we can make a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really interesting because I always tell them, I said, listen, I said, we're just meeting, right? After an hour, are you gonna trust me? <laughs> and they're like, no. And I'm like, exactly. I'm like, so. How are going to do it? Um, and I kind of just let them know that I'm going to be asking certain questions because it is the first session. Um, and I do want to collect that data. And I let them know, though, that there is a point in time where if you're uncomfortable with something, we can say we can table that. I said, because at the same time, you don't know me, Right. How can I say that I am allowed to enter your world in this first session when you have no idea who I am? Just because I have a few letters after my name, (laughs) you know, that's unfair. So I always let them know, though, in the beginning, too, that we're going to have time at the end um, for them to ask me questions um, and to ask me whatever they want to ask me. And I think that that is really important because, you know, I think, yes, you could read my bio. Sure. You know, um, I like my bio, right, on my website. But then again, if I was a client, (laughs) okay, great. She's done this and that. Okay, perfect. Um, Yeah, so we know that you graduated and that you're, you know, you've got practical experience. But what about, 
what about lived experience, right? Exactly. And that's the thing. And I, and I always do, and this is another thing too, and I, I might get some, some flashback, backlash for this, but, um, you know, I, I always go against the grain a little bit anyway. Um, I like to be more realistic with my clients and I will let them know, um, you know, I'm just a, a realist. I will tell you like, yes, this sucks. Like let's, let's, let's sit in this. It sucks. Mm -hmm. What are we doing right now though? That can help us, that can serve us in an adaptive way, even though this sucks. Right. Um, but I always say to clients in the, the first visit too, is that a lot of the work that I do with them, especially cause I work from a cognitive behavioral therapy perspective and approach is that I've done this homework. If I give you something, I've done it. Is it um, personally for mm -hmm. yourself with your own, yeah, mental, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and I will let them know that if, if I feel like there's something like in the treatment plan that I haven't done, I will still do my own homework and I will engage in the homework myself before I provide it to them or while I provide it to them. That's awesome. Um, because I think that it's important. And I also tell them, Hey, listen, therapy is not like school, right? So if you didn't do your homework, I'm not going to yell at you, <laughs> right? I'm going to say, okay, what was happening? What, what's happening that we're avoiding doing it, right? There's an avoidance around engaging in this behavior and engaging in this activity, engaging in the homework. So let's look at that. And I, I, I really want to approach the first session as this is a collaborative approach. This is not you telling me everything and then me kind of just spitting it back at you. This is more of a collaborative approach. The relationship is so important um, in order for success to occur, um, in order for progress to occur. I want my clients to even come and tell me the happy things. I want them to tell me the sad things. I want them to tell me the weird things, you know? Oh. Um, and that's the most important thing, especially about the first session, is really letting that person know that this is also their space. It's not me invading it. I think it's really great that you offer them um, a chance at the end to actually ask you questions because mm -hmm. I don't know that too many therapists do that. Um, <laughs> and I think that would help you. Like, it's one of the things I know when um, guests fill out the application to come and chat to me on the podcast, the first thing I do is, um, you know, I talk about myself so that they can feel a bit more comfortable about sharing with me. So I'm not just this, you know, faceless person that they're sending an email to. Mm -hmm. So I think it really helps when you can do that. So that's awesome that you do that. Really good. You touched on a little bit there. Um, you said, uh, that your therapy is from, uh, CBT. Mm -hmm. Now, <laughs> I'd love for you to give us a little dummies version um, of CBT. I know we could be here for 12 hours yeah. if we delve right into it. But it's one of those therapies that is very effective, yet very confusing. <laughs> and for those of us <laughs> who need it, but are potentially in a not so great headspace, it can be a bit hard to, to get our head around um, when needed it. But yeah, tell us a, tell us a little bit about it, little dummies version. <laughs> and I also, so dummies version, and I think it's really important though, because I have been looking at it this way, right? Because there's so, so many, so many things on CBT, right? And I think it does get a bad rap sometimes, I think, um, because again, right, evidence-based, which is a good thing, you 
know, um, but I think that in the therapy world, sometimes it gets some backlash um, because yes, we do love talk therapy. I also incorporate psychodynamic, um, but CBT is really my foundation. So CBT really looks at, and, and this is kind of how I, I express it to my clients and describe it to my clients, is that our thought process, right? Our thoughts, right? They actually contribute to our emotional response, mm -hmm. right? And then our emotional response, right? Then perpetuates our behavioral response. Mm -hmm. So what that looks like is I have a thought, right? Even if we are not even aware of this thought and we're just having an emotional response, many times we're having a thought first. We might just not be aware of it yet. But it's the thought that affects the emotion. And then when I have this emotion, right, let's say I have an anxious thought or I'm, I'm feeling anxious or my brain is saying, whoop, this is a threat. This is a threat. This is not a reward. This is a threat. So my physical response is anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. So when I have this anxiety, what happens then? I have a behavioral response. So this behavioral response could be what? I can run away and escape. Um, I can run towards it, um, right? Or I could freeze, right? This is like tapping in, this is our sympathetic nervous system, right? Mm -hmm. um, our fight or flight and freeze, right? A lot of people forget about freeze. Um, but that would be the behavioral response. So what we do is that we sort of start looking at what is happening, what, what events are occurring, right? Um, what thoughts are we having during this event? What emotions are we having? And what behaviors are we engaging in? Um, and we start to understand the patterns of what's happening for us. So usually our thoughts are then connected to our emotions, right? Certain thoughts are connected to certain emotions and certain behaviors. Mm -hmm. And we say, okay, great, we have a pattern now, okay? Where in this pattern can we break, right? Can we maybe start start breaking the critical voice, maybe start breaking some of those negative thoughts. Um, okay, when we have this response, what are some things that we can maybe provide to ourselves or engage in, like coping skills, that can help alleviate that emotional response? We're not invalidating it, but we're alleviating it so that we can say, hold on, what behavior do I want to engage in right now, right? Because every behavior that we engage in has a short-term and long-term consequence. And when I say consequence, I don't mean it in a negative way, right? That's just the technical term. An outcome. Use. It's an outcome, exactly, positive or negative. Mm -hmm. um, so we look at it, so saying like, okay, let's say I have anxiety, right? My behavioral response, I'm gonna avoid. I'm not even gonna look at this. I'm just gonna hide, right? So in the short term, that feels great. It's like, whoo, got that out of the way. I feel relief. But in the long term, how is that serving us? It's actually perpetuating and continuing this negative cycle. Yeah. Um, so we start looking at also the short-term and the long-term outcomes. Um, but we have to start at our cognitive, you know, our, our thought process. What does that look like and where does that come from? And that goes back to our core beliefs, our foundation. You know, mm -hmm. what has been reinforced through our experiences over time that has instilled maybe some of these negative thoughts that we have. And it's interesting because I always say this, our brain is unfortunately amazing. <laughs> okay. And I tell my clients this all the time. Okay. And it's unfortunately amazing because it latches onto the negative experiences more so than the positive, right? It has such 
it's a bigger impact on that negative experience. It latches onto it. So of course, you know, looking at our negative thoughts and our core beliefs, we're going to find that a lot of these negative experiences that we've had, even at a young age, maybe even the ones that we don't even remember fully are, we latch onto them. So yeah, it's an interesting thing. The brain is net because sometimes I, um, I know when I've left jobs before, like, a you know, I was in a job for, for five years. And when I left, I was having to like create training manuals for the person taking over. And, um, <clears throat> I remember thinking, well, oh, I wish I could just like plug in a hard drive and download it, you know, into my brain and then just give it to them and they could upload it. And, um, I was quite young at that time when that happened. And as I got older, I thought, gosh, I want to do that in life. It's not just about that job of transferring my knowledge for the, um, the particular role that I did, but in life, I'd love to like go in, delete the stuff I don't want, (laughs) become very selective. Um, and you know, add in some more good stuff and you know, everyone will be happy. Um, you know, unfortunately we can't do that with our brains and that's why we need to work on, um, on ourselves and, and, and use a lot of different techniques apart from, this is an interesting question for you and I hope you go with me on this, but apart from therapy, Mm -hmm. what other things do you suggest people use as part of their mental health wellness programs? Oh, so I'm actually an advocate for this because I am so into wellness Mm -hmm. and I think so important, right? So I think a lot of times is, so, well, there's a fine line also with exercise, right? Exercise is healthy for us, mm-hmm. but we also want to make sure that it's, it is adaptive for us in this moment, right? So if we have any disordered eating or we have a lot of body dissatisfaction, we also want to be a little bit careful with that. So I always suggest yoga. Okay. Uh, I think that, and whether that is, you know, um, whatever type of yoga I think is important because we are actually creating that mind and body connection. Um, we're actually learning to increase our self-compassion about who we are and our acceptance of ourselves in that moment. Um, so yoga is definitely a thing that I love. I think also meditation. Mm-hmm. Meditation is a huge one. Um, and I am, I don't know if I can like, drop names in, in the podcast, but I'm obsessed with Dr. Kristen Neff. If you have not, um, heard of her, please look into her. She, um, what's her name? Dr. Kristen Kristen Neff, N-E-F-F. And she actually has, um, created, um, self-compassion mindfulness. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and we, she looks at self-compassion versus self-esteem and, you know, what that looks like. And it's a very interesting topic, very interesting subject. Um, and I utilize a lot of her work in my work. Um, so the mindfulness and meditation is very important as well. Um, we also want to, you know, be regulating our parasympathetic nervous system, right? And kind of learning how to tap into that and activate that, um, the rest and digest, right? We want to tap into it. Uh, by utilizing all of these things that we we have inside of us, right? We don't have to look outside of us uh, for a lot of these tools. Um, so mindfulness and meditation really help us understand that we hold that power um, and we have these tools within us. Um, music. Mm-hmm. Music is a huge one. Big one for me, yep. Uh, I tell all my clients, and I do this myself, 
make a playlist for it. Make yep. a playlist. Um, you know, so I think <laughs> I, I, music is a huge one. Music is, is one of those, those outlets that whether you're listening to it, whether you're engaging in it, it has, there's an emotional connection. Um, it has so many healing properties. It really does. And I think that a lot of people overlook it. They're like, oh, I'll listen to some music. It's like, no, like it's so powerful. It's so empowering and it's powerful. Um, and depending on what you're going through, right, we can play around with it. We could sit in it and we could say, you know what, I'm sad and I'm going to give myself this sad time and I'm going to cry for half an hour or an hour and I'm going to do it, right? Yeah. Or we could say, I'm sad and I kind of want to not feel this way right now. And then we put on our like happy playlist and we're like, yes, this is great. Um, so there's that art art, okay. painting, drawing. Um, you know, I have clients that it's difficult to verbalize how they feel, mm -hmm. but when they draw, when they paint the most amazing, beautiful, emotional pieces I've ever seen in my life, they speak volumes. Mm -hmm. Um, so, it's kind of like when we kids, you know, we draw something or paint something and our parents are going, oh, that's a lovely. And you try and decipher what it was that the child had painted or drawn. Yet we kind of stop that at some age, unless art is a passion or a job mm -hmm. for people. I think as, you know, adolescents, we lose um, mm -hmm. that part of us. Like every innocent child, you know, will will draw and paint and we just lose that all of a sudden. I don't know what happens, but all of a sudden we're not doing it. But I think... Um, it, you're right. Like I remember as a child doing so, and I'm a very creative person. I was 25 years of florist. So uh, creating and, and being immersed in, in art has always been a thing for me. But um, I now currently work in uh, the disability employment sector. And it's really sad to me when I'm writing up people's resumes and I'm talking to them about um, their hobbies and they just say, oh, no, none. And I'll say, oh, well, do you like sport or, you know, do you, swim or and they're like mm, I'll go for walks I guess and I'm like what about you know do you like music do you like to draw what no mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm just like oh like my heart breaks for them because I just think there's no outlet for you and I think it's so important for everyone to have mm -hmm. some kind of an outlet to cry or to laugh or to mm -hmm. you know and it's it can be very lonely I think if you don't have that and you are someone who is alone to mm -hmm. not have that interaction with life you know so I definitely recommend just one one thing whether it's even just turning on the radio and having a dance like it can be the simplest right mini dance parties are my jam yeah <laughs> it's very popular here in Australia actually probably started like mid last year I guess so they'll just start dancing to like random music on Instagram and they'll you know tag people and pass it on and it just goes on and on and on great and often, yeah, and often a whole group of people will all get together and have like a big dance party. So, you know, where they're just all dancing in the middle of the day to, to the music. Oh, it's good. It is really good. I, I love that because, even, and that's another thing though, right? Because it's giving people that platform to feel connected, mm -hmm. right? Even if you're alone. And to kind of like engage in something that can be really helpful. And you don't need to dance. Like you don't need to be a dancer, you know. You yeah, just, you just blend it out. Exactly. And that's exactly what they do. Exactly what you just And no one, no one can see this right <laughs> But I'm shaking my arm. I'm having a movie yesterday. No. 
That's all it is. You know, I get up with my clients in in the middle of the room and I'm like, okay, we're going to shake it out now. Come on guys, just shake it out. Love it. Yeah. Uh, it's really, really good. So at the moment you're, you have a practice and, or you're probably doing online stuff, are you, because of COVID? Yeah. So I actually work for an agency in uh, Midtown Manhattan right now. And I'm also, you know, in the works of creating my own private practice. It's almost there. I'm looking for a space. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, it's not the most difficult part. I already have my clients, but I need my space Um, (laughs) because we've been doing telehealth you know? Um, and it's interesting. It's a very interesting thing. And I think a lot of times there was a lot of backlash before this happened about telehealth. Right. And, um, I think that if you connect with your clients in, in person and you have that rapport, I think it works. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously there are some things that maybe I don't feel so comfortable doing virtually, uh, because I'm not in this space with them. I do a lot of interoceptive awareness work, which is more so of kind of like inducing um, emotional responses, like maybe inducing a panic attack or anxiety attack. Oh, wow. And then also sitting with my client together, both of us having this experience um, and letting them understand that they can, they can ride that wave and they're okay. Um, so that I, I most likely wouldn't do in their own space, right? Because their own space at home is their safety, their comfort. Um, but other than that, I think, I mean, I haven't had, I've actually had new clients in telehealth, like first timers. And I've been seeing them for now for, what, three months? That's so good. It's so interesting. Just one of the many positives that COVID's brought. Because <laughs> it's nice yeah. to think of the positives because there's so many negatives. <clears throat> Awesome. So, um, Sam, people can get in touch with you via Instagram. Uh, and your handle, I think I have written here is therapy with Sam. Yes, it is. And you have a website as well. Um, I don't have a website for therapy with Sam. Um, it's going to be up and coming. I'm kind of, I'm keeping kind of, um, my private practice a little bit separate right now. Um, I'm going to start integrating it soon and marketing it as soon as I kind of get everything up and running. I think, once um, we kind of get off lockdown, mm-hmm. it, it makes it a little bit different. Um, just because I, I want to do workshops and wellness workshops within my private practice. And I think that I want to market it appropriately. There is a lot of really good content as you build your new Instagram page as well. Um, so for those of us who aren't in New York, we can still follow your work and, and get some little tips and insights. I wanted to ask you just to wrap up our little chat today. For anyone who's listening and they've loved the topics that we've been talking about, what are the best two or three things that they could do today? They could go away after listening to this podcast that they could do to help themselves with their current mental health issues that they have. Yeah. Well, I think number one, and I know that this is probably the most difficult, um, but to reach out. I think that's the number one, even if it's a friend, even if it's a family member, it doesn't have to be a therapist right now, right? I think that it's really important to just reach out and ask for help. And that's probably the most difficult part, right? Um, That's one, right? And if you don't want to reach out to a friend or family member, they have so many online resources, Mm. right? Um, They have a lot of platforms where you can kind of just reach out um, and just talk about what's happening for you. I think also another thing for me, 
um, to provide to our listeners would be journaling. Okay. I think one of the other ones that I think I, I let, you know, the first time I meet with clients, it's the first thing that I actually ask them to engage in. The reason being is that a lot of times, especially with what we spoke about today, I think that we have a lot of thoughts going on in our mind, especially if we ruminate or we overthink, and it can become so big. Um, so when I say journaling, I don't mean paragraphs or pages, or it could just even be jotting down how you're feeling, like sad, angry, frustrated, overthinking, right? And then close it up. That's yours. Put it away. Nice. Um, and I think another thing would be, I think, create a playlist. Love I it. love playlists. And I think, you know, make a happy playlist, make a sad playlist, make a playlist when you're feeling down and you want to feel motivated, you know, um, music holds so much power. And I think even if you're not a music person, um, making a playlist will definitely, definitely help. So That's awesome. Love mm -hmm. it. Thank you. Amazing tips. Really, really good. <laughs> Well, it has been an absolute pleasure having a chat with you. Thank you so much for getting up at a ridiculous time in the morning there to talk with us. <laughs> um, I've really enjoyed it. And I'd love to, to you know, have a follow-up chat with you at some time. And uh, maybe once your practice is up and running and uh, let us know how, how that all goes. But I would love that. You're an invaluable source of information and I could literally talk to you all night, I think. Um, I think there's definitely another another podcast episode in me with all the questions I'm going to think of after I leave. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. And I know one of your goals, um, not only in your practice, but just even coming on to the Be Kind to Mind podcast was to just create awareness around mental health. Um, and I think probably the biggest thing that you touched on uh, as well at the end there is just support. If you're having a hard day, if you're not sure what to do next, just reach out and tell someone that you need some help. Absolutely. Thank you, Sam. I hope you have a beautiful Sunday there in New York. Hopefully it's nice and sunny and warm there for you today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm going to now take my dog out for a walk. Beautiful. Um, yes. Um, but thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. I look forward to continuing to connect with you and, you know, really kind of building on this. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. You're more than welcome. Okay, so that is a wrap on episode four, friends. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Sam. Our chat was so lovely that I just honestly couldn't stop and I could have spoken to her all night which does mean that for this episode we won't have a chat with Gareth but don't worry because he will be back on the next episode with more mental health chatter. If you'd like to be on the show please email me or go to the Instagram page and fill out the form and the link guest application. If you liked our show please reach out and give me a five-star rating on whichever podcast app you are listening to so that we can spread the word further and tell your friends and family about the podcast as well. The more people who hear our stories the more equality we can gain. I want to thank you all so so much for listening today and I really hope that you were able to gain some insight and feel a bit more comfortable with your barriers as we aim to normalize our mental health in our world. If you're struggling today, I see you. Keep going. Tomorrow is a brand new day. Until next time, friends, take care and don't forget to be kind to your mind.